Hello friends, this is Pastor Evangelist Robert Venable. We are certainly happy to be with you today right here on WMAF. Pray that you're having a wonderful, wonderful beginning of your week, second day of a brand new week. You know I get up every morning and I declare what David declared. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. I say that before I know what the day holds for me. I proclaim it. I declare it because God is still on the throne. No matter what happens, God is still in control if we put our trust in Him. Praise God. And I just want to declare that I, I, I understand what David was saying and I want to apply it in my own personal walk of faith in God. Today, I pray that you understand that God is still on the throne. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, our Savior, and our Heavenly Father. And friend, today, no matter what is happening, God is able to make everything work together for good to them that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Hallelujah. Something good is going, therefore, to happen to you if you are a Christian today and you have your trust in him hallelujah well having said that we've got a great subject this week we're glad that you have joined us if you're a brand new listener we welcome you if you're not a christian do not exempt yourself from this study of the word of god we want you to know more about this god that can become so mystical and so mysterious and and certainly in many aspects he is but he is a person with a character that can be clearly understood, especially uh, as it's revealed in His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Praise God. Amen. So God's character, God's personality, though God be a spirit uh, that the world cannot contain, yet He's everywhere uh, and He's anywhere uh, that He is called upon in faith. God is with us, and God is in us as Christians, and He wants a, a relationship with us where we can trust Him, and He can fellowship us, and we can have that relationship with one another. So, we just want you to join us today as we study God, our covenant friend. Praise God. All right, I want to read again our 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 foundational verse for this scripture out of Genesis chapter 17 verse 1 through 7 listen to it carefully it said and when Abram was 90 years old and nine and the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him I am the almighty God walk before me and be thou perfect and I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly and Abraham fell on, or Abram at that time fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more called Abram, but thy name shall be called Abraham, which means literally father of a multitude, <laughs> hallelujah, for a father of many nations have I made thee, and I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee, and I will establish my covenant between me and thee, 
and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. It did not stop with Abraham nor his immediate seed, uh, his children uh, that would come forth in that that time frame and that time period. But this is an eternal, everlasting covenant, not only to Abraham and his seed, but his seed through his seed, his seed after him. Praise God. It really comes down to you and me as Christians, as believers today. This covenant-seeking, covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. The New Covenant, the New Testament declares plainly that they that are of the household of faith, Jew and Gentile, because it all changes, for we become one in Jesus Christ, and the middle wall of partition uh, has been broken down. Hallelujah. Amen. And in Christ, the Scripture is very clear in the New Testament. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, but bond nor free, rich nor poor. We are one. Male nor female. We are one in Jesus Christ because this covenant is a far-reaching covenant. And we as wild olive branches, we Gentiles have been grafted in to the true vine because of what Jesus has done at the cross. God wanted to have a covenant with everyone, not just a few peculiar people and particular people. That's why that covenant has been broadened to bring everyone who trusts Christ as their Savior into this wonderful, wonderful, reconciled relationship with God. You know, the Bible said that the just has suffered for the unjust that he might get us to heaven, that he might give us rewards in the end, that we have eternal life in this holy heavenly city. That is secondary. That's the bonus of what the real reason for forgiveness and pardon of sin has has accomplished. That is the, the secondary reason he wants us to live in the place he's prepared he wants us to live in the holy city. He wants us to have eternal life. But above all else, He wants to be in a fellowship relationship with His creation that has sinned and separated ourselves. A holy God cannot accept us in our sinful condition, but He can forgive and pardon our sin for Jesus' sake because of His blood sacrifice on the cross, and then receive us into His royal family and have a fellowship relationship with us. Therefore, the Scripture says in the New Testament, the just, Jesus Christ, has suffered for the unjust, all of us, that He might, what? Take us to heaven? That's secondary. Let us live eternally in the holy city? That's secondary. That He might bring us to God. Hallelujah. Amen. This is God's purpose. He loves us today. Now, don't ask me why, but I do know when he established this covenant with Abraham, love was the motive. Love not only for Abraham, not only for the Jewish people of that day, but for all people, even into this day. 
praise God, because he said, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations. In other words, every generation that can be traced spiritually back to Abraham. Amen. We have an everlasting covenant. And then Jesus comes along and adds to that the shedding of his own blood to establish a covenant whereby we have, God would honor his sacrifice in our behalf if we would repent of our sins and receive his forgiveness. Praise God. God supplied the blood through the Lamb of God, His only Son. Jesus supplied the blood. And when we trust Christ as our Savior, we apply the blood. And we apply that blood to our life in the sense that what He did on the cross, what He accomplished in our behalf, now God can grant unto us, which is full forgiveness through grace and grace alone. Hallelujah. And through Christ and Christ alone and through the blood of Jesus and the blood of Jesus alone. So let's talk about this covenant relationship. It is so very powerful. I want to reiterate today what I said last week to review. A covenant is best understood in the framework of a friendship relationship. A true friend is completely committed to stay in relationship no matter what. And God's desire to be our covenant friend brings a whole new dimension, therefore, to our faith. While strengthening our faith, it deepens our fellowship relationship with God. Hallelujah. He keeps all of His promises because of His personal commitment to love His covenant partner, His friend, forever. It's, it's a love-motivated covenant. In fact, in one place in the Old Testament, it says that he would keep his covenant to a thousand generations. And, and the way it's worded and connotated, it says he will keep his covenant of love to a thousand generations. That's why he sent his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Make no mistake about it, it was God's love for fallen man in our sinful, helpless, hopeless condition that caused him to send Jesus into this fallen world to redeem us. And make no mistake about it, my dear friends. It was not the nails through Jesus' wrist actually considered part of the hand in that day. Through his wrist and, and the nails through his feet. It wasn't those nails nor the authority of, of the most powerful nation in that region which was Rome. It wasn't the Roman soldiers. It was not the nails that held him on the cross. Remember when Peter went to defend him with a sword when they came to arrest him? Jesus said, put up your sword. If my kingdom were of this world, I would call the armies of heaven uh, to deliver me. Jesus didn't stay on the cross as a victim uh, of someone else's power and authority. He stayed on that cross for one great reason. Because of God the Father's love that sent him there in our behalf, and His own personal love, because the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Him bodily. He felt on the tree what God felt when He sent His Son, the same, same powerful force of divine agape love. 
And love held him. Love held him. Not nails, not Roman soldiers, not the political and military might and power of Rome, the Roman Empire. Love held him to that tree until it was accomplished, it was finished, until our sin debt was paid in full. And a blood covenant, therefore, has been established before God and between God and man through His Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So we want to look at how covenants work and how powerful and, and deep and far-reaching they are. And we're going to study this from 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18. And we're going to talk about the covenant that Jonathan, who loved David so much, he made that covenant with David and see the strength of this ancient ritual and rite of covenant. Let's read it together. First Samuel uh, chapter 18. It said, And then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. He loved him as his, I said it before, I want to reiterate it. God made this covenant because of his love for fallen man. His desire to pardon our sin and to save us. That's why he came into this wonderful covenant relationship. Verse 4 said, And Jonathan therefore stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David. And his garments, even to his sword, and his bow, and to his girdle or belt. Robe. He's first, he first made a covenant by beginning to show his commitment to that covenant by taking his robe off and giving it to David. Robe in that day was a garment worn over a tunic by men of rank, a garment uh, of the priest. And by so doing so, Jonathan was simply saying, in effect, David, I'm giving you my life, all that I am, and all that I have. You see, Jonathan was a crown prince, son of King Saul, destined for the throne. From birth, he had been trained and schooled and groomed for kingship. He had everything to live for, possessions beyond our imagination, prestige, and a future that so many would envy. However, he was ready and willing to give it all away to seal a covenant with his friend. And I want to submit today that this is exactly what Jesus has done for us who believe. In order to save us, he stripped himself of all of his royal robes. Let's read this in, in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2. Verse 6 through 8, it said, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took on himself the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Bible scholars call this the exchanged life. The exchanged life. God comes to earth to become a man, to exchange garments. He takes our garments stained by sin and gives us 
His righteous robe. He is judged and punished, and we are acquitted and set free. Oh, we used to sing that song that's just a chorus, really. Oh, how He loves you and me. Oh, how He loves you and me. He gave us His Son. What more could He do? Oh, oh, how He loves you and me. Second Corinthians 5 and t- verse 21 verifies this. It said, For He made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You can see the exchange. He takes our garments. He didn't sin, but He was treated and suffered and punished as if He did sin, as if He committed the sins of fallen man around the world. And He paid the price in terms of punishment on the cross for those sins that we might be made. See the exchange? He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. You see, this righteousness is not just forgiving us. It's taking our sin away and granting unto us as if we had never sinned in a positional righteousness before the Lord. He actually took our sin-stained garments and gave us His holy, perfect, sinless, spotless robe. He left the indescribable beauty and the unspeakable glory of heaven to give us His robe of righteousness. That's why Isaiah uh, 61 and 10 said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord my soul and be shall be and my soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation, he hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. We have been given his robe to cover us. We are wearing our covenant partner's garment, (laughs) and we should live differently in this world. Uh, Oh, friend, this positional righteousness doesn't give us personal license and right to live in a compromised, sin-filled lifestyle and sinful lifestyle. Uh, It it would be like getting a brand new suit uh, to wear uh, to to, uh, one of those contests at a state fair where you've got to catch a a pig that has been oiled down with baby oil <laughs> and and in a in a mud puddle situation you wouldn't wear your best brand new suit that was so clean and so beautiful you would have to find an old pair of of overalls an old pair, pair of jeans or a pair of shorts something that you didn't didn't mind getting filthy and dirty and that's the way we should look at this as Christians we have a positional righteousness that is so powerful so pure so wonderful and came to us at such a great cost we shouldn't want to drag this garment that has been granted to us through such sacrifice and suffering and such love. Oh, friend, we don't want to drag that garment in the dirt and the dust and the pollutions of this world. We want to live for Christ. We want to live a life that says, I am so, uh, 
thankful for this robe that's been granted me. So that way our our personal responsibility to serve God and love God back and follow Christ uh, comes into play. So there's a positional righteousness that is granted immediately at salvation. And there is a personal righteousness that is developed as we begin to appreciate and appropriate that grace in our life. Oh, we have a heart. We have a new bent. And we want to serve this wonderful, wonderful God. Amen. We have been given His robe to cover us. We are wearing our covenant partner's garment. And we should live differently. Ephesians 4 and verse 24 says, And that ye put on the new man, which is after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Ephesians 4.24 is written in covenant language, which the Jews understood more deeply than we generally would today. Paul was emphasizing that there had been an exchange of life. We are now to walk in another man's garment, taking on his righteousness, reflecting his nature, and manifesting His goodness. Hallelujah. I want to say that again. We are now to walk in another man's garment, taking on His righteousness, reflecting His nature, and manifesting His goodness. Praise God. This is the glory of the cross. The exchange began with the exchange of garments. And that exchange has been made for you and for me at the cross. And the only way I can have any hope of heaven is because I have been given His righteous robe. And He has taken my sinful, sin-stained old garment. He wore it to the cross, though He never sinned. But He took my place and your place, my dear friend, And He was judged for our sin at the cross. And we get to wear. This is the glory of grace. This is the wonder of the gospel. Who am I? The songwriter said it so well. Who am I that a king would bleed and die for? Who am I that He would say, Not my will, thine for? The answer I may never know why He ever loved me so that to an old rugged cross he would go. For who am I? Well, I'm going to tell you who I am and who you are today. We are the recipients of the love of a God who said, I created you and I don't want you lost. I don't want you to be punished and banished from my presence and banished from heaven and punished in eternal punishment. That's not my will for my creation. I want you to live with me in a place I have prepared, in a new heaven and a new earth, forever and forever, age without end. But I, as a holy God, I cannot, I cannot look over your sin. I have to find a way to redeem you. I have to find a way to forgive you, to pardon you, to bring you into my heaven, into my presence, without compromising my holiness and without allowing sin to go unpunished. And the only way He could do that 
is through the plan that only God could devise. I will give my son to be punished for your sin, and I will give his righteous robe for you to wear. It's called the righteousness of God in the new covenant. Friend, that doesn't make me, because of this gift of righteousness, it doesn't make me want to go out and live a sinful, sinful life. Because of the glory of this covenant, the grace of this covenant, the love of God within it, I want to love Him back. And I want to live for Him. Because I'm reciprocating that love for Him. You know, the Scripture said we love Him because He first loved us. God took the initiative. He set His love. He said that in the old covenant. He said, "He said you're not greater. He said it to ancient Israel. In that day, when the covenant with Abraham was in place, in that setting, he said, I don't love you because you're greater in number than any other people. I don't love you because you're such a glorious nation. I don't love you because you're so sweet and lovable, literally. He said to them what is common to all mankind. He said, you're really a stiff-necked generation. You're stubborn and self-willed. But I have set... And see, here's the covenant aspect of how He loves. It's not just an emotional feeling with God. He acts on His love by establishing a covenant. Hallelujah. He said, I have set my love upon you that I might keep my covenant with Abraham. I will set my love upon you that I may keep my covenant with Abraham. And because of this covenant aspect of God's love, he said, though you stray from me, if you come back to me, if you return to me, that means to re- repent. That's what repentance is. It's, go- it's a 180 degree turn. You're headed one way. You do an about face and you head the other way. You're headed in the wrong way, but you turn around and you head in the right way. And when you head in the right way, like the prodigal son in the New Testament who repented by going back to his father's house, heading in the right way, his father saw him. A long way off, he ran to him, fell upon him, kissed him, put a ring on his finger and a robe. Bring the best robe. Hallelujah. His garments had been soiled because of his sinful lifestyle. But he brought the best, clean, royal robe and put it on him. Hallelujah. Listen, friend, God has a covenant to love that cannot be broken by our sin. Sin is not strong enough to stop Him from loving us. What sin will do, unrepented, will separate us from that love, from that forgiveness, and from that pardon. But I feel the love of God right here today. I feel it flowing to people in this listening audience. People I have never met personally. You may be so lovable that it would be easy to love you. You may have done things that would cause people to not even want to be around you. But I want you to know today, God's love is so very strong. And God's love is so very powerful. And God's love has never been seen more clearly than Jesus staying on the cross of His own volition. Not because nails could hold Him or armies could keep Him there. He stayed there. 
because He loved you and He loved me. In our sin and in spite of our sin, He showed His desire to save us, to pardon us, to forgive us, and to reconcile us unto Himself. And that He would forgive my sin and that Jesus would wear my dirty robe to the cross so that He could is so marvelous to me. But that He would give me His robe is absolutely overwhelming. Oh, friend, our time is almost gone today. But I want you to know that God loves you. And I believe because of that great love, He's calling you. He's drawing you. Don't run from Him anymore. Run to Him. Let Him forgive you. Repent of your sin and run to Him today. And let Him forgive every sin that you've ever committed. And let Him put the robe upon you. Let Him put His arms around you. Let Him put the ring on your finger and shoes on your feet. Let Him restore that relationship that sin has broken. It's His desire. It's His design. So don't run from Him today. Run to Him and be saved. And if you're a Christian today, you are in a covenant with God. And God is for you because of that covenant today. The Scripture is very, very clear. What more shall we say to these things? If God be for us, (laughs) who can be against us? God will defend you. God will protect you. God will hear your cry. God will keep you until the day of redemption as a covenant friend. Well, we love you. Would you come back next week and let's talk about Jesus.